as my family and I were reading um, through the New Testament this week, um, I had already picked my passage several weeks ago. So as I was preparing that, but this week we were reading through uh, every chapter. We, do a tr- we try to do a chapter every night. And as we were reading through these chapters, I kept thinking to myself, man, I should have picked that one. That's a really good passage. I should have picked that. I kept, and I kept going back to the however... We are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. Uh, if you have been reading along with us throughout through the New Testament, um, we just finished reading through 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is filled with a lot of well-known verses, a lot of verses that you've heard before, a lot of even some coffee cup verses that are in 1 Corinthians. Uh, very straightforward. They would have been a lot of scriptures that you would be very familiar with. But when considering 2 Corinthians, some readers might think that as they read 2 Corinthians, it's some very heavy reading, uh, very personal reading. As Jason and Landon have uh, in previous weeks mentioned, the church in Corinth was a very modernized church. It was a very new church plant. But in the church, they had unrepentant sin. They had things that they were dealing with. Uh, We had church members that were suing one another. And Paul has to be very blunt with the church in Corinth. And he has to be very straight to the point with some of the issues that arise that have arisen in the church. And so with this new, relatively very new church plant uh, that is in the midst of a generation, in the midst of a city that is... uh, It's like a melting pot city, a city with all types of beliefs, all types of different gods. And so as Paul is planting this church, as Paul is dealing with this church, they're having to deal with a lot of the world that is impacting the church. And as the world impacts the members of the church, it comes inside of the church. And so Paul is going to be very straightforward with the members of the church in Corinth. And we're going to see how Paul will begin to share his heart with this church. And like I said, 2 Corinthians is going to be very personal. It's going to be a very intimate letter to the church in Corinth. We call it 2 Corinthians, but in all truthfulness, it could be called 4 Corinthians. Because it's the last of four letters that Paul would write to the Corinthians. Two of these letters we do not have in our Bible. They're kind of lost to us. Uh, which is why we only have First and Second Corinthians. Here's a little backstory for you. Paul begins the church about 52 A.D. And he stays in the church in Corinth about 18 months. He decides to leave and he goes to Ephesus. He remains in Ephesus for a few weeks. And he takes a quick trip to Jerusalem. But then he will go back to Ephesus. And while he is in Ephesus, he writes the letter to the church at Corinth which is lost to us, one that we do not have. It is referred to uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 9, where Paul says, I wrote to you warning you not to live in a worldly manner. So this letter is lost to us. We don't have uh, this letter in our scriptures. Uh, But Paul in 1 Corinthians, in in our Bible, talks about it. I wrote to you warning you not to live in a worldly manner. And in response to this letter, the Corinthians wrote back to Paul. They asked him a ton of questions. They sent this letter via 
three men who are talked about in 1 Corinthians. He responds uh, with what we know as 1 Corinthians, which would have been his second letter to the Corinthians, but it's 1 Corinthians in our Bible. And he tries to answer some of these questions, and he will talk about these things. And the bad thing is the people did not respond the way that Paul wanted wanted them to. They respond negatively. So Paul is going to make a trip back to Corinth. After the people respond negatively to his letter, he will go back to Corinth. They, he, they don't know exactly how long he stayed there. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, you will see that Paul calls that visit a very painful visit. So it's not a good visit. It's a very painful visit. And he comes to them with a very quick rebuke on the sin that was within the church, the issues that were in the church, all the negativity in the church. And again, their response to Paul is going to be negative. So he returns to Ephesus and sent another brief letter through Titus see that he could see how he could help out this church in Corinth. And Titus was gone for a very long time. You know, a few weeks back, I was supposed to go to Kenya. My plane trip, my plane got canceled, so I was not able to go. But one of the cool things about not being able to go is I can pick up my phone and I can text or call Chris at any moment and know exactly what's happening. He can send pictures via social media. I can talk to him almost instantly through text, even though we're halfway across the world from each other. It would not have been that way here. When Paul sends Titus with the letter, he's gone longer than he's supposed to be. There wasn't a FedEx truck to deliver it. This was the original snail mail. Very slow process. And when people went, they were very dangerous roads. Titus has gone longer than expected. So he worried. What happened to Titus? Grew anxious to hear from Titus. He becomes troubled. So troubled that he leaves Ephesus in order to try to find Titus in Macedonia, Titus at this moment will bring Paul a better report from the church. And in response to their more encouraging word back to Paul, that is where we have the fourth letter that Paul will write, which is 2 Corinthians in our Bible. It's a very encouraging word, an expression of love, a very encouraging word of thanksgiving that he will give to the church in Corinth. And so... 2 Corinthians is actually Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthians. And the biggest thing that we're going to talk about this morning, that Paul wants to get across to the church in Corinth, is for their comfort. You're going to see that word a lot. Um, The word comfort is used, if I counted correctly, ten times in just a few verses. And to put into into perspective, one commentator that I read said that this word comfort is used 31 times in the New Testament. Ten of them are going to be in the passage that we read this morning. So one-third of the times that it's used in the New Testament is right here in these few verses that we're going to read. And there is a reason for that. Paul was trying to answer some of the thoughts of those in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, who were claiming that Paul was suffering, Paul was going through a difficult time, because he was not, a, was not an apostle. And more importantly, not, an, not appointed by God, not sent by God. Some of them were even claiming that maybe all of the difficulties that you are facing 
is proof that you don't belong to God and that God is with you. Paul's going to come with them and he's going to set the record straight. Because they were thinking, the church in Corinth was thinking much like I believe a lot of people within the church today believe that if you are a Christian, then everything is just easy and go lucky. It's all rainbows and, and, and roses. It's all beautiful and great if you're a Christian. And Paul's going to set the record straight. And so that road of being a Christian is not an easy one. And Paul's going to talk about that. And if God, you know, they had this disbelief that, you know, if God is for us and God is all powerful, then why would he allow us to suffer? Why would Christians be allowed to suffer? And that's really the question that the age old question. Why are Christians allowed to suffer? If God is all powerful, God is all knowing, if we are his children, then why? Why would he allow that to happen to us? I'm glad you asked. That's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. A few thoughts before we jump into the passage, though. Especially if you think that the Christian life is going to be easy. A few thoughts. Number one, we are sinful people living in a sinful world. We should stop, absolutely 100%, stop thinking that when you give your life to Jesus, that the world, that life is just going to be easy. That's not the way it is. The world used to be perfect, and then humans were put into it. And we sinned, and we turned away from God, and we did things our own way. And the consequences is living in a fallen, sinful world. We are sinners living in a sinful world. Uh, If life is easy, if today you may be in here today and life is just simple and go, go lucky, man, life is great. If that's the case, praise God. But I'm telling you just to hold on because life will get rough. Life will get tough. Life will be hard at some point. Number two, we are redeemed but still live in a fallen world. And just because Jesus has bought us by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of His Son Jesus, um, doesn't mean we get to escape the sinful world that we live in. Salvation is from the consequences of sin. Yes, we do not get to uh, have God's wrath poured out on us after we enter into eternity. But it doesn't we don't get to escape the consequences of sin here and now. We live in a sinful fallen world and we have to live in that world. Thanks be to God that someday we will be removed from this world and we will sin will be removed from us, but until that day happens, uh, we still live In this fallen world. Lastly, our joy comes from knowing who Jesus is and who we are in Jesus Christ. Yes, that means that we still live in a fallen world. We don't get to escape it. But until Jesus decides to take us home, we are here and we must continue to live in this fallen world. And I think these are just three very good reminders as we head into the text this morning of what. Paul wants to share with the church in Corinth, and he's going to address some of these things. And Paul, uh, because Paul experienced many trials, we're going to talk about those in just a second. Paul experienced some horrific trials and afflictions in his life. And he's going to address these things with the church in Corinth. 
the church would have been aware of these things that Paul went through. And we're going to see how Paul is going to be a shining example for the church to follow. So that leads us to our big idea. Our big idea is Paul wants believers to thank God for the comfort he provides in the midst of suffering. He wants believers to thank God for the comfort that he provides in the midst in the midst of suffering. So with that said, let's start chapter 1, uh, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, uh, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not know for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that if we had received, we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. It's the word of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that as you have given us this text this morning that we would see it in light of, one, the sufferings that Paul faced uh, the things that the church in Corinth was, were facing. And Father, the things that we are facing in our life. We all will go through affliction at some point in our lives. And Father, you are giving us a blueprint of how to face those trials, how to face those um, afflictions. So Father, I pray that as we read your word, you would help it to make sense to us. And as it makes sense to us, I pray that you would help us to live by it. Uh, so that we can ground our hope in you, we can find comfort in the middle of the storm, and that, God, you would be honored through it all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As in many uh, of Paul's letters, he begins his letter with a salutation of grace and peace. These are very important words. One of the things that I found interesting is that Paul sets the record straight in verse 1 where he says... Um, that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Not by the church of Corinth. Not by 
uh, all of these other things that he's doing. But he's saying, God has called me to be an apostle. But he starts this letter off with a salutation of grace and peace. And these are very important words. Because when you think about grace and all the things, the, the grace and mercy that the Father has poured out to us. And all the things that he has given to us. And so when we think about things such as love and joy and the forgiveness of sin. I talked to our, our students this week at Terrific Tuesday about wisdom and how we should ask for wisdom. And these are all gifts given to us by the Father. And he's saying of all these things God has given to us, grace and mercy, has been, they have been extended to us. And in return, because of those things that God has given to us, it says that we are to have a life that is full of peace. Now, when I say a life that is full of peace, I'm not talking about uh, making everything easy. But what I'm talking about is a heart that is untroubled and a heart that is confident that no matter what we face in this life, God is still at work in our lives. So no matter what you're facing, that God is still with you. Ray Stead, uh, Stedman says about this verse, he says this, It is not just doctrine about how to get to heaven. It is teaching on how to handle life. Therefore, the constant supply of God uh, is to bring peace to a, our troubled hearts. We are to live at rest. Two words. If you uh, look at this passage again, and you can underline them in your, in your Bible if you would like to. But two words that stand out. Affliction and comfort. And these two words, they go together on, on purpose. Affliction is what we might call pressures. It's what we might call the stress things in our life. The things that keep you up at night worried. Uh, worrying about the future. It might be your finances. It might be the loss of a family member. It might be a family member that doesn't know Jesus. It might be a family member that uh, used to know Jesus, but now they're kind of walking their own path. Anything that could uh, hinder you that might make you feel uneasy in your soul. Um, it may be as simple as standing up for the truth, knowing that you're going to lose a friendship over taking a stand for the truth. But this word comfort that we're going to talk about this morning. Now, when we think about comfort, I believe we often think about anything that will make us feel better. I want to feel better about this situation. I want to be able to sleep at night. Um, that is what I originally considered when I read this passage. However, the deeper I dug into the passage, the word comfort literally means strengthen. It literally means to strengthen. And what Paul experienced was the strengthening that God brought to him uh, to give him uh, a peaceful, restful spirit to meet the pressures that he was facing, to meet the afflictions that he was facing. And I don't want us to miss this. Paul was not asking, and, and there is an exception with the thorn in the flesh. But Paul did not ask for these trials to be taken out of his life. He didn't. But God was going to comfort him or strengthen him to get through the things that he would face. And just as far as the thorn in the flesh, a little side sermon, God did not remove it. God said, I will be honored through it. And so what that was, we're not for sure. But God did not remove it. And God gave him the strength and the comfort to get through those things. And it's amazing how many Christians, I think, 
run from pressure because most believe that when we have a lack of affliction in our life, when we have a lack of uh, trials in our life, but that's, that's the right recipe for comfort. And take all of these hard things out of my life. That way I can get some peace. That way I can get some rest. And Paul is wanting to show the church in Corinth. And he's wanting to show us this morning a different way from this passage. So let's take it apart and let's dive in. Where does this comfort come from? Number one, God is the God of all comfort. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul is going to begin this letter to the Corinthians praising God for the difficulties in his life. And he calls the God of the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And this should be a shining example. This should be a huge, you know, just light in our face. This is where your comfort comes from. To see the trials that we're facing in our life and to thank God for them. That's what Paul does. It's amazing to think of all the things that Paul is facing and for him to say, glory be to God. He's the God of my comfort. And Paul wants the church in Corinth to have that same type of faith. Because the God of comfort, because God comforts us in all of our affliction. Look at, let's continue reading in verse 4. He says, Bless me the God and Father, verse 3, of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. It doesn't matter what you're going through, it doesn't matter what obstacle you're facing, it doesn't matter what trials you think you can't overcome, God knows about it. And not only does God know about it, He wants to comfort you through it. He wants to strengthen you through it or as you face it. Isaiah 66, 13 reminds us of how God cares for us. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Yesterday I was playing in the pool with my son. My wife, uh, my daughter went to a friend's house to play. So it was me, my wife, and my son playing in the pool. And Unfortunately, I like to rough house with my son, and my son is kind of soft serve. So uh, we were rough housing. He hits his chin on my head, and immediately I just grab him and hand him to his mother. Why? Because mom will comfort him. You know, what do dads say? I just rub some dirt on it, son. You'll be fine. That's what fathers say. But why does he go to his mom? Because he knows his mom will comfort him in that moment. Does it take the pain away? No. But it's amazing how much that hug makes that pain go away a little faster than rub some dirt on it, son. He still needed to rub some dirt on it, I promise you. But here Isaiah reminds us, reminds us that that's how God cares for us. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You can come to me. If you're facing these difficulties, you can run into my arms and I will be there to comfort you. I will be there to strengthen you. So, he's the God. Uh, God comforts us in all of our affliction. Number two, we are given comfort. So, in return, we can give comfort. Uh, again, in verse 4. Who comforts, us, who comforts us in all affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction... With the comfort with which our, we ourselves are comforted by God. 
I think one of the main reasons why God wants to comfort you is because he wants you to comfort someone else. Sometimes that's hard for us to hear. You know, this happened to me this week. And the person who comforted me uh, probably had zero clue that this took place. This week I had the honor of going by and praying for one of our fellow church members before they went in for a procedure. And here I am, one of the pastors. um, I'm going to their house to pray for them, to encourage them, to maybe be there for them as they go into this procedure. Because it might be cancer, it might not be cancer. They don't know. And so I just want to be there and give comfort. So I go and I speak to the family and I ask this question. Well, are you anxious? And with all honesty, that person looks back at me and he says, you know, nope. He says, God has brought me this far. And I'll either come back with good news or I'll come back having started chemo already. And he says, but whatever road the Lord has for me, I guess we'll walk it when we get there. Zero stress, zero worry, or at least it seemed that way to me. And as I studied this text, I couldn't help but think of that this week. And I thought, wow, what a great testimony of just no worry, no anxiety. Just, you know what, God brought me to it and he'll bring me through it. I left there very encouraged. I went to be the encourager, and I left encouraged. And so, God had brought them comfort in that moment. A very stressful situation, not the ideal situation that anyone wants to go through, and yet they bring me comfort while I was trying to do the same for them. And that's what God wants us to do when we enter into these trials. You know, I lost my mom almost 10 years ago, some of the hardest days I've ever had to walk through. And I found the most encouraging words come from those who had walked down that path before me. They had lost a parent. They said, you know, here's what you're going to go through. And here's what you can experience on the other side. And those were very comforting, encouraging words in that time. God wants us to walk down these roads so that in return you can bring comfort to other people. That's what we are called to do. And when the God of heaven comforts and strengthens us, we are to do the same. Next, we need to remember that we are one with Christ in his sufferings. These sufferings are Christ's sufferings because they come from following him. And they add to the fulfillment of the suffering destined for the body of Christ. And they are Christ's sufferings because, guess what? He lives in us. We are his people. George MacDonald said it like this. The Son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their suffering might be like his. Jesus Christ came into the world. He lived a sinless, perfect life. One that we could not. He never sinned against anyone, and yet the world hated him. We live in a fallen and sinful world. And in the same way that the world hated Jesus, I got good news for you. They're going to hate us. 
John 15, Jesus tells us this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, and, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, world that I, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And here Paul wants us to see that we are one with Christ. And the same way that the world treated Jesus is the exact same way that the world will treat us. But Paul also wants us to see that, lastly, we can endure because we are people of hope. Look at verse 6. It is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in our abilities. Our hope is not in our wealth. Our hope is not in our health. Our hope is secured in what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you and for me. That is what our hope is in. Nothing else. Romans is full of comforting words about our eternal security, about who we are in Christ. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is talking about the glorification that will take place uh, when we enter into eternity. When we live this sinful world and join the Father, when we leave this sinful world and we join the Father in heaven as children, it says we are to suffer with Christ and ultimately we will be glorified with Christ. Our God is a God of comfort and He does comfort us. However, I don't think we can miss this next major point. God will give us more than we can handle. I know this goes against what a lot of uh, people will tell you in the world, what a lot of pastors will tell you with what you might hear in church. Uh, we've often heard, God will not give you more than you can handle. I'm telling you, that's baloney. God will give you more than you can handle. You can see it right here in this passage. And I know that... Our American theology, we want to be strong enough and prepared enough to face anything that the world can throw our way. Uh, Paul faced some amazing trials and afflictions. As we continue reading this week, in 2 Corinthians, you're going to see where five times Paul received 40 lashes minus one. So by law, if they gave him 40 lashes, that payment was paid for. But it says... He received 40 minus 1. So they gave him 39. Just enough to not pay for the crime. Uh, three times he was beaten with rods. That's lovely. Once he was stoned and left for dead. Uh, he was shipwrecked three times. I don't know why anyone would get on a boat with Paul. But they did. A long list of dangers along the way. Over and over. Look at all these things that Paul has gone through. God will give you more than you can handle. And that's good because, look at point number one, it helps us rely on Him. It helps us to rely on God. Uh, starting verse 9 there, 
It says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. God does not want you to go through it on your own strength. Because if you go through it on your own strength, you rely on yourself and not on God. And guess who gets the glory when we do it ourselves? We do. And God wants to get the glory through your times of difficulties. Flip over just a second to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 10. Paul says this, For the sake of Christ, I am content with weakness. I am content with the insults. I am content with the hardships. I am content with the persecutions. I am content with the calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying, when I depend on God, that's where I find my strength. God is the one that gives the comfort. And God wants us to rely on Him because, too, God wants to grow us in persecution, in preparation for future affliction. God wants to grow us in preparation for future affliction. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. This is an on, this ongoing growth. It continues uh, to work Today, and it continues to help us to prepare for future things that we will experience down the road. Yes, for today, but for future afflictions as well. We are to press on. We are to set our eyes on the finish line. We are to run the race that is set before us. And as we are jumping over the first hurdle in life, it's in preparation for the last hurdle that we will jump through, jump over in this life. Yes, he wants to get you over the first hurdle, but he's also growing us and preparing us for the last hurdle that we will jump over as well. For the glory of God to win the prize. And lastly, God will give us more than we can handle because he wants to help us uh, lift one another up in prayer. He wants us to lift one another up in prayer. Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I know we say this over and over. Uh, one of the most difficult things uh, as we say this over and over and we hear it so much. I think sometimes we just don't put it into practice. I, mean, I think I've been guilty on more than one occasion. When you hear of someone going through a difficult time, you text them, I'm praying for you. But then we don't. I want us to remember that as Paul is asking for prayer for the church and for prayer for them, we are to lift one another up in prayer. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. That's really what we talked about this morning. We are to rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We are to patiently endure all the things that are put in our way. All the tribulations, all the afflictions, all the stuff that weigh us down. We are to be constant in prayer. Why? So let's ask that question. Why do Christians suffer? Two things. First of all, to have an opportunity to show the strength of God. To have the opportunity to show who our God is. 
I think sometimes when we face difficulties in this life and when we face tribulations, uh, we are to be a lighthouse that points straight to God. We are to be that beacon. We are to show people the light of the world. We are to be mirrors reflecting the sun. Not looking at ourselves at how we deal with stuff, but pointing us to the Father of hope, to the Father of comfort. We are to have the opportunity to show the strength of God. But secondly, we are to have the opportunity to comfort others. We suffer to help others. Two things very clearly. Why do Christians suffer? We are to show how powerful God is, but we suffer so that we can help other people. I know we don't like like it when things aren't going our way. It's a pain. We like normal. We like normalcy. I know that sometimes when we come back from things that aren't normal, maybe you live in, in a hotel or out of a suitcase, and you say, I just want to get home and get back to normal. We like normal. I like normal. But I pray that we see that when things happen in our life, they are for a reason. And I know I'm, I'm talking about living out, out of a hotel or something, but I'm talking about difficulties in life. When things aren't normal and when they just don't feel right, know that they're there for a reason. They're there for a reason. God is trying to grow you through those things. And I hope we use those difficulties and afflictions in our life to give us an opportunity to point people to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. He is the reason we have hope. He is the reason we can make it through those days. You know, I've often heard it said, and I know that I have said this before. I just don't know how people who don't know Jesus get through difficulties like this. I've said that on multiple occasions. I just don't see how people that don't have the hope of Jesus get through things like this. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. But it's times like that that we're supposed to point people to Jesus. We're supposed to comfort those who, in other words, might not have comfort, who might not have hope. And we, because of God's work in our lives, are able to comfort those who are facing afflictions in their own life. Pray that we use it for an opportunity to comfort others. Uh, Let's end with this. Paul speaking in Philippians chapter 1, he says this. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So, In the words of my grandma. And and so until the Lord takes us home, as my grandma used to say, we are to just keep on keeping on. 
Whatever God throws our way, whatever curveball might be thrown at us, we are to keep on keeping on. And we rely on God. We comfort others because we have first been comforted by God. That's what we are called to do. And we continue to grow and prepare for what God has for us down the road. Like I said, if, if life is easy right now, just hold on. Rough waters are coming. But we can face those rough waters because God is our God of comfort. And we lift one another up in prayer. I'll end with this Kent Hughes quote. And I think it's on the front of your notes. He says, The motif that keeps emerging throughout this epistle is that weakness is the source of strength. And that suffering is the vehicle for God's power and glory. Weakness is the source of strength. And that suffering is the vehicle for God's power and glory. Let's pray this morning.